You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 16. As you're turning there, let me uh, take a moment and remind you about next Sunday morning. Um, We are, are planning on July the 2nd, next Sunday morning, to only have one Sunday school and one worship service. The Sunday school will be at 9.30 and the worship at 11 o'clock. And so you are the service that will be affected the most by this. Next Sunday, your worship service will be at 11 o'clock. And the time in which you normally go to your Sunday school will be at 9.30. All classes will be meeting uh, if you're in Sunday school at the 11 o'clock, you'll be meeting in a different location. Your Sunday school teachers should have already shared that. If not, they will today. Um, in an effort uh, for us to be together uh, as a congregation, it's good for us to uh, do this occasionally. And so we've planned that. We had one inadvertently back in the spring uh, when the power went out, but, which, by the way, I'm praying it doesn't go out this morning. Um, and... Uh, but it allowed us to be all together. It was a great time, uh, both of the services meeting as one at the 11 o'clock. And so we're planning uh, an intentional one next Sunday morning, July the 2nd. And uh, I, I hope that you're planning to be a part of that, that time together. Um, I, Romans 16, we're going to look at verses 17 through 27 this morning. And uh, if my uh, math is correct, this is... Uh, our, uh, well, it's certainly our final sermon in Romans. I think it's the 70th message uh, and our final one in Romans. We began uh, studying this letter uh, on August the 15th, 2021. We've taken some breaks in there uh, from time to time. But I shared with you on that Sunday, I went back and, and looked it up. I'm sure it's readily available on the top of your head. You remember every word from August the 15th, 2021. That's supposed to be kind of a joke. Are you all okay today? It's all right. Um, but I shared with you four reasons why I, I wanted to preach Romans. Those were also the four reasons why I think Paul wrote the letter of Romans. Uh, and those reasons were to establish us in the gospel, uh, to unite us around the gospel, uh, to partner together for the spread of the gospel, and then to intensify our worship in response to the gospel. And so those four reasons. And so as we finish our study today, I'm I'm praying that God will continue his work in in us and in our church towards those uh, great ends. Um, But it doesn't end here with just the end of our study. Uh, So let's look at the closing words, Romans chapter 16, verses 17 through 27. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent and as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. 
so do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Agaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cordus greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity today when we get to be together and worship, uh, when we get to sing praises together, we get to be encouraged by one another, and we get to look at your word, and, and then in a few moments, Lord, we get to share in the supper together. <clears throat> Lord, we ask that you would work in all of these different ways uh, to bring us closer in a relationship with you and that you would use these things as well to, to help us to become more like your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, give us ears to hear today, and I pray that you'd use me as your servant. I pray that you would increase and I would decrease and your word would go forth. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the most important things about uh, maybe a movie or a story is the ending, uh, because it often is the part that leaves you with uh, either a good taste in your mouth or, or a bad taste or some overall impression. <clears throat> and in one sense, in, in my mind, it, it would have been uh, perhaps fitting to have ended the letter in verse 16 where Paul does uh, when he says, uh, greet one another with a holy kiss. That, that, that seems to have been maybe an appropriate one to kind of break off the, the letter. Maybe Paul riding off in the sunset uh, toward Rome and uh, we drop the curtain and cue the credits and uh, we're out of here. But that's not, that's not what happens. It's not how Paul ends the letter. Because in the midst of what seemed like a curtain kind of falling, with all of those names at the end, and uh, the greet one another with a kiss, Paul suddenly breaks in uh, out of, uh, just with an unexpected warning, uh, if you will, uh, about people who might come into the church and, and wreak havoc. Uh, th this abrupt change of topic has even caused some... Uh, uh, scholars to wonder whether or not these, are, these words are even Paul. Maybe someone uh, perhaps stole his quill and uh, decided to, to write a different ending or something. But, but when you examine Paul's letters, uh, those of you who have read through them before, different uh, letters in the New Testament, you realize this wasn't uncommon for Paul at all. Uh, in fact, it was actually common for him to end uh, letters with a warning about spiritual dangers. Uh, we see that in 2 Corinthians, Galatians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, for example. And so perhaps here it was his uh, holy kiss uh, comment that perhaps reminded Paul about how much he loved the church and how much he despised those who would seek to come in and 
destroy that church, dis, uh, to bring disunity to that church. And so as Paul ends his letter to the Romans, he gives them this warning as well as some encouragements to them. First of all, he gives them a serious warning. And you get the sense by his tone, and it is a stronger tone than perhaps what we've seen anywhere in the, in the book, in, in his letter. I appeal to you, brothers, verse 17, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. And again, it seems out of place, and, and it seems that Paul is not writing in response to something that's already happened, but something that he fears may happen in the church uh, in Rome. And he communicates, uh, I think, a lot of helpful information. <clears throat> Who are these false teachers? What are they teaching? He doesn't really tell us, does he? Uh, perhaps in, in wisdom, he, he's not specific because he wants this warning to go forth not just here, but from every church and every generation as false teachers change and false teachings kind of change. He wants us to be aware of these things. He does tell us what they typically do. What does he say? They, they cause divisions, he says. They cause divisions. Jim Boyce is uh, long uh, deceased now, but in his commentary written many years ago, he writes this to describe that, he, the process. He says, often these people show up in a congregation suddenly, usually from another church where they've also caused trouble, and though they give no indication of that when they come. They are knowledgeable. They usually have considerable abilities. They are leaders in the sense that they have enthusiasm and get people to follow them easily. People like this are usually warmly welcomed and quickly put to work, but problems develop quickly. And these problems, Boyce goes on to argue, they tend to draw people to their cause or to their side, and they create factions in the church. And, and, and if you see, you read these verses, I think that's a quite good uh, description of, of what is happening here. Paul says they cause division. Secondly, they create stumbling blocks. They create obstacles, he calls them, contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. And again, Paul wisely doesn't tell us Anything of what this false teaching is, uh, again, uh, perhaps wanting this to go forth because false teaching is going to come in all generations against the gospel. We've seen that hundreds and hundreds of years of church history. This includes, certainly, the description that he gives is that it's including certainly anything short of the whole gospel that Paul has been explaining. Anything that would seek to uh, go against that gospel, anything that is a barrier to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and though Paul's command is jarring here, it, it, it is essential. He says, first, watch out for them. Be on the, on the lookout. Watch out. And then if you see this kind of behavior, he says very plainly, avoid them. Avoid them. That sounds harsh, doesn't it? It sounds... Uh, it kind of uh, makes us uncomfortable to hear this, this language. But, but, but all of this reminds us of everything that Paul has been saying here in Romans. That, that, that if, if, the, if we think that these things are incidental matters, and, and that we shouldn't speak so strongly against those who would cause division and create obstacles to Jesus Christ, but then we are missing something of, of what Paul has been arguing, the significance of the whole gospel. 
Because getting the gospel wrong at the end of the day will lead to damnation and judgment of God. And so while there are times for patient confrontation and seasons of prayer for those who are struggling and grappling with the implications of the gospel, when that person, Paul is saying, describing here the person that is refusing that repentance and refusing humility and and begins to cause division and create obstacles in the church, that Paul says, avoid them. Avoid them. He gives reasons, verses 18 and 19. For such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, he says, but I I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. But Paul desires there for us to be discerning. He says, look at the fruits of of people. If anyone is resisting sound doctrine, he says, they cannot be serving Christ. They're serving their own appetites, their own preferences, rather than the Scripture. MacArthur shares this warning. He says, no matter how seemingly sincere and caring false teachers may appear to be, they are never genuinely concerned for the cause of Christ or for His church. They are often driven by self-interest and self-gratification, sometimes for fame, sometimes for power, financial gain, and frequently for all of those reasons. What's this warning? Don't be fooled by smooth talk. Don't be fooled by flattery. Don't be confused by likability and, and a sense of winsomeness or caring. Those who are trying to create factions in the church, Paul says, are not serving Christ. By the way, Jesus said the same thing, didn't he? In the Sermon on the Mount, you remember? Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 and 16, he said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their, what does he say? By their fruits. Paul says, watch out for them and avoid them. He says, I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. He wants us to grow in our discernment, doesn't he? And the way that we grow in discernment when it comes to this spiritual discernment Uh, begins with knowing the true gospel, doesn't it? You you know what is the truth. You know what is real. You know what has been laid out and and taught. The way you recognize false teaching is by knowing the truth. That's why Paul, I think, spends so much time explaining the gospel here in Romans so that we would be equipped with the, the truth. John Stott adds three tests from this passage to help us, kind of a framework to help us to discern this. False teachers, do they follow or oppose the doctrine that Scripture teaches? That's the essence of verse 17, isn't it? Do they follow or oppose the doctrine that Scripture teaches? Secondly, verse 18, do they lead to the service of Christ or are they appealing to human appetites or preferences? And then thirdly, it's verse 19, do they promote obedience? In other words, that which is good, he says, that that which is fruitful, or, or, or do they promote evil? 
Those apply to doctrines and ethics as well. If you're struggling and wondering about what to believe or how, how to act, that, that's a very simple way. Does, does it agree with Scripture? That's the first place that we go, church, right? Amen? Are you all asleep today? That's the first place that we go. We don't go to our hearts. We don't go to our feelings. We don't go to the culture. We, don't, we go to the Word. Does it, secondly, does it glorify the Lord Jesus Christ? Thirdly, does it promote obedience, goodness, the fruits of the Spirit? I think what Paul does here, though it may seem out of place perhaps at the end of Romans, it's one of the most important things that he says, isn't it? Right here at the very end, he knows that the church will always be under the threat of false teaching. Every generation will be under the threat of false teaching. And therefore, it is imperative, Paul says, that we watch out, that we are prepared to avoid those who, cause, who seek to cause division and create stumbling blocks that are contrary, he says, to sound doctrine. And, and giving that warning, Paul is quick to give us, secondly, a glorious promise there in verse 20, doesn't he? He says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. That's telling, isn't it? Who is behind the divisiveness and false teaching? Ultimately, who does he say? Satan, right? Satan is. He's the adversary. He's the destroyer of uh, the church, the, the one who wars against the truth, the one who wars against the people of God. But the good news here, Paul says, is that the Lord will defeat him. The Lord will defeat him. In fact, he says the God of peace will crush him. I love that language, crush him. Uh, it means to smash him, to annihilate him. Uh, it, it, it's more violent. It, it reminds us, and I think it's reminiscent of Genesis 3.15, that promise to Eve that her seed would, remember, bruise the head of Satan. This is, I think, very much in that. I think both of those verses are referring to the same event, the final defeat of evil. And it seems odd, the language that he uses, since you, you would think the God of peace, the God of peace is crushing, annihilating Satan. It doesn't sound compatible with one another, but don't, don't miss what he's saying. He's saying that in order to bring deliverance, God, God, in a sense, becomes violent to everything and anything that would damage his children. If that view of God makes you a little bit uncomfortable, boy, it should not. I think it should be of great encouragement to you that your father loves you that much. What grandfather, what father... If someone is doing something to hurt one of your little ones, would stand back and say, well, you know, that's not really my problem. That's not my concern. That's, that's none of my business. But no, out of fierce love, you would respond. And for this very same reason, Paul says, the God of peace will crush Satan. You know, behind this, we're reminded, I think Ferguson is right, uh, when he, he, he remarks here that, Paul understands something of the gravity of what it means to be a Christian in this sense that as Christians we are living in a war zone spiritually. This is not times of peace, but times of war. 
We're surrounded by enemies of our souls, of our very souls on every side. If you're a believer in Christ, you feel something of this. You feel it from all different ways pressing in on you and our need, our need for God, the God of peace to come and crush our enemy. And what a great promise to us as a church that with all of these threats assailing us from every side, God promises that Jesus Christ is able to deliver us and he will deliver us in due time. Aren't you encouraged by that today? Be encouraged by this. It is, he says, that, that brief benediction, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's his, God's grace that sustains us at every turn. In this battle, what a glorious promise. Third, Paul gives an encouraging greeting. An encouraging greeting. He's already sent greetings personally in verses 1 through 16, right? That's Paul saying give greetings to so-and-so. But here he's delivering greetings from those people who are with him at the time of writing this letter. And, and in some way, at least when I read this in the context here, it it, it reminds me that, that as Christians, that the Christians in Rome are not alone in this battle. That they have other fellow workers and believers. Verse 21, Timothy, my fellow worker greets you, so do Lucius and Jason and, and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord Gaius, who was host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cordus greet you. We, we might could picture Paul finishing up his letter, and uh, he's looking around the room to all of those companions who are with him, and uh, sees it as an opportunity. He sees Timothy there. And Timothy, you remember, is like a son to Paul, is one of his most faithful partners in the gospel ministry. And he says, Ah, oh, Timothy sends you greetings. And then there's these kinsmen that he mentions Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater. Uh, Lucius is Latin for Luke. We don't know for sure who this is. Is it Luke the Apostle? Could have been, probably, probably not. It could have been uh, Lucius of Cyrene, who was uh, mentioned in Acts in the church at, at Antioch. Uh, Jason is mentioned there, probably the very one that provided Paul hospitality, you remember, but it cost him. It was in Thessalonica when that happened, Acts chapter 17, it cost Jason dearly to do that. And then there's Sosipater, who, who might have been that Berean who's mentioned in Acts chapter 20, verse 4. And then there's Tertius, uh, who was Paul's scribe. Uh, the one who is actually pinning out Paul's words as Paul is dictating those by the Spirit, as the Spirit guides him. Tertius is the one who's actually writing out uh, the, the, the letter that's going to the church. <clears throat> then there's Gaius and Erastus, probably some kind of men, uh, significant men of standing, uh, leaders perhaps in the church at Corinth. And then Cordus, uh, who, whose name, by the way, is a number. So you've got Tertius, whose name is the number three. I mean, that's his name. He's like naming your kid three. And then Cordus, whose name is, it means four. Uh, and, and you wonder, is, is Cordus the younger brother of Tertius? Uh, you know, kind of, I kind of had the thought, I, I, if I had thought about that when I was naming my quadruplets, it could have made things a lot simpler, right? 
But, but it's amazing, again, because you've got all these guys, and, and uh, you've got some, some from Corinth, uh, you've got a Berean, you've, you've got somebody from Cyrene, uh, you've got a city treasurer, you've got two, two guys that were just named Numbers, and, and these were the very first men who heard Romans, partners with Paul in the gospel. Do you think they had any idea of the magnitude of the message that they were hearing? I, I think they probably did. Because I, I, can't, I can't help but wonder if they're sitting around, you have all these diverse men again together who have been united in this partnership in this mission that is much greater than any of them could fathom and they are united around the gospel of Jesus Christ did any of them think to themselves as they're hearing Paul dictate this letter to Gaius and he's writing it down did did any of them think that that you know 10 or 15 years ago this guy would have been trying to kill me for my faith and yet by the grace of God I can think of no one greater to partner with than Paul in this life-changing, all-powerful gospel of God. It's a reminder to us that there is nothing like this gospel in all of the world, church. Nothing. Nothing more powerful. Nothing more significant. Nothing, according to Paul here, we're fighting for more than this gospel message that is the power of God for salvation to those who believe. Have you believed it? You know, it's, it's possible that you could have heard all 70 of these messages from Romans and still not come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. It's possible. It's possible to be in church every week. It's possible to have such a knowledge of your Bible, you know where Romans is pretty quickly. It's possible you could know all the Ten Commandments. Maybe you could recite the Lord's Prayer and yet never to have come to know Jesus Christ. To know about Him and yet not know him. And, and I would simply ask this morning, what in the world is keeping you from coming to Christ today? What in the world? You know that you're a sinner before God. You know that you need a righteousness that is not your own to save you. You know, or you should know this, that a righteousness that you could not create by your own good works, if you had a thousand lives to live, your righteousness would not be enough to save you. But the good news that Paul preached is that a righteousness of God has been revealed. A righteousness that is gifted to us upon our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. Those who turn from their sin and come to Him in faith, He freely gives righteousness to them. That is salvation. What is keeping you from receiving Christ and His righteousness today? 
Paul ends the letter here with a reassuring benediction. It's really a, a doxology. We read it there in verses 25 through 27. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. The structure there is a bit complicated, isn't it? It's typical Paul writing. He's got a whole bunch of commas and things that he's added in there. But here's the essential, here's the core of it, what he's saying. To him who is able to strengthen you, to, to the only wise God, to him be glory forevermore. That's the core, isn't it? It includes a lot of themes there that Paul's touched on throughout the letter, by the way. He talks about the strength of God in chapter 1 and several places in chapter 1 of Romans. Uh, as he mentions here, the gospel is able to strengthen you. He talks about the obedience of faith in chapter 1, verse 5. He mentions that here again in verse 26. He talks about the gospel being for all the nations. Again, a concept mentioned all the way back in chapter 1. He's speaking uh, broadly of the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Chapter 1, verse 16, God's revelation, this revelation of this gospel revealed in the prof prophetic writings. Chapter 3, verse 21, and then the Lord is the only wise God. He, he praised him again. In chapter, remember that doxology at the end of chapter 11. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. And, and among these, we might focus on that opening line that he says, to him who is able to strengthen you, or the word establish you. It's the gospel of God that grants believers a permanent standing with our Lord. Think about that. The gospel of God grants believers a relationship with God in which nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus for all eternity. A permanent standing. Those who are in Christ, there is not now or forevermore, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. A permanent standing. Doriani has compiled a wonderful list of, of the gospel, how the gospel strengthens or establishes us. Do you feel the burden of guilt? Here's the answer, Romans 3.25. Jesus has offered himself as a sacrifice, a propitiation to atone for our sins. Do you fear condemnation? And sometimes wonder if you deserve it. Romans 3, 19, God will declare you righteous through your union with Christ. Romans 3, 19 through 28. Do you doubt that you deserve God's favor? By faith, Romans 4, 6 through 8 says that our sins are forgiven. Do you feel anxious and distressed? 
Romans 5.1 says you can have peace with God. Do you wonder if you can know God without fear? Romans 5.2 says by faith we have access to God and the right to stand in His presence. Do you wonder whether God loves you? Romans 5, 5 through 10, he loved you when you were weak and sinful. How much more does he love you now in Christ? Do you feel trapped by your sin? Through faith in Jesus Christ, Romans 6, you have been raised to a new life. Romans 7, you have been set free in Christ. Do you feel unimportant, unconnected? According to Romans 8, 14 through 17, God is your father and every believer is your brother or sister in Christ. Do you feel abandoned and hopeless? Romans 8, 17 says we are fellow heirs with Christ. Do you, does your life seem futile? Romans 8, 18 through 23 promises that the Lord will end the corruption of this age and he will redeem us, and he, including our bodies, he will redeem for all eternity. Do you grieve the divisions and trouble in this world? The power of the gospel of Jesus Christ has reconciled both Jew and Gentile, and in Christ we have a glorious unity, Romans chapters 9 through 11. Do you lament the plight of the lost in your family, in your workplace, around the world. Romans 10, 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And how beautiful are the feet of those who bring that good news. Do you wonder whether you can live up to your calling? Romans 12 speaks of how God renews our minds and gives gifts by which to serve. When we treasure all of the riches of this gospel and so many more, that's just the tip of the iceberg of how this applies to our lives. How can we not, with Paul, say to the only wise God, be forevermore, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ? Who would have dreamed that such a marvelous salvation would have ever been given to people like us. We will spend eternity wondering and worshiping and giving all glory to this wise God in Jesus Christ. If you have believed this, why would you ever want to move away from this gospel to less significant things? And once again, I want to ask those of you who are not yet Christians. Why would anyone in discovering this gospel, hearing this gospel, choose to stay on the outside of it? Why have you not believed? The gospel is the power of God for salvation, but only if you believe. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Do it now. And don't wait for another moment. And as we sing a song of response, I'll be here and invite you to come and tell me 
about your trust in Jesus today. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this great letter of Romans. And I know that we have, in many ways, Lord, only been looking at the surface of it. There's so many more depths. We pray that, Lord, this, the work that you began in, in uh, establishing us, establishing a foundation of the gospel in our lives, that you would continue, Lord, doing that. That you would bring unity in our church around this gospel. We would commit ourselves as partners together to spread of it and that we would give glory and honor to you for it all. We pray today, Lord, if there is a response that you are calling for in us that we would be, as we began the service, Lord, like Isaiah, here am I. Help us to be obedient, Lord, to whatever you're asking us to do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark. And if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.